Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. I am your host, Shane Bacon, and uh, yeah, that was uh, quite something over the weekend in Paris. The uh, Europeans won again on, on international soil again, and it was a pretty dominating performance. Basically, after that opening session, I mean, there was just no real chance. There was a, a moment on Sunday morning where we were starting to try to talk ourselves into this comeback. It might happen. We might win the first five matches and uh, we ended up losing singles. I mean, it wasn't really even close. And uh, you got to give credit to the Europeans. Uh, they looked extremely confident. They didn't let that opening session and get to them. I mean, 3-1 is a big lead after the first four matches. And after that, it was Molinari and Fleetwood and Rory turned it on. And we saw Ian Poulter doing Ian Poulter things. And really, I would say an entire team effort. I mean... You even look at Thorbjorn Olesen on Sunday playing Jordan Spieth, and he just routes Spieth, who now is 0-6 in singles matches in these team events. It's just crazy. Uh, I have Karen Krause from the New York Times on the clubhouse to discuss not just the Ryder Cup, but her story that has kind of made the rounds now. If you haven't read it, I will tweet out the link so to make sure you get a chance to read it. But basically, she got a chance to talk to Patrick Reed one-on-one on Sunday evening, and Reed had some some pointed comments about not playing with Jordan Spieth and how the whole team process has worked and him sitting and how he didn't believe he should ever sit in a Ryder Cup. And uh, you can take it as Patrick Reed being Patrick Reed, or you can take it as a guy being honest about how he feels this whole thing went down, especially considering Patrick Reed and Jordan Spieth were the American team that you'd want out there. And they got split up. And uh, Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth played well after that opening match. But as Karen points out in this piece, and as she pointed out here on the clubhouse, when you break that team up, you now switch out other teams. You know, Justin Thomas and Ricky Fowler had a lot of success at the President's Cup together. Now you got to find teammates for those people. you got to throw Patrick Reed in with somebody that he hasn't played with before in Tiger Woods, who was just completely out of sorts and never really gave Patrick Reed much of a chance. And so it is a little bit more of a waterfall effect than you think when you change up a team like that. And so we dive into that. Uh, it's definitely worth hearing her words and how the interview came about and her asking the question at the press conference and getting this awkward moment between Reed and Spieth. So stay for that. Uh, we That's basically the meat of the podcast. We, of course, touch on Tiger and on and Phil and a whole bunch of other things. But uh, before we get to that, I just wanted to remind you that when it comes to golf equipment, we always want a brand new driver. We always want a new ball. We always want those new shoes that the best golfers in the world are wearing. The one thing that never seems to get enough attention is the one thing you use on every golf shot. That's the thing that holds and protects those precious golf clubs of yours. And yes, that is an Ogeo Cirrus bag. It's fully loaded with all the features you want in a golf bag, yet is remarkably light. You can carry it effortlessly while also protecting those brand new clubs of yours. It's complete with a water-resistant pocket for your valuables, rapid access pocket to grab a golf ball quickly if you hit one in a backyard. You can check out Ogeo.com or your local golf retailer to get your hands on the Cirrus today. Stop carrying around that golf bag you've had since the 1990s. It's time for an upgrade. Ogeo, the world's best bags. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I was glad I got to catch up with Karen, who is still in Paris and took some time to do this. And uh, I think you'll like the conversation. She, uh, she speaks of golf unlike most people really in the world, and I just love having her on. So here we go. Karen Krause of the New York Times. And we welcome back into the clubhouse. Uh, it's been a bit, Karen Krause. I think I had you a year and a half or so ago. Of course, Karen, the amazing sports writer at the New York Times that covers the PGA Tour. And Karen, you're finally, finally getting a moment to yourself. The golf season is quote-unquote done, and I bet you're uh, 
pretty happy to have a day around Paris and not have to worry about about writing or covering anything after this kind of whirlwind of the Tiger run followed by the Ryder Cup. Absolutely. Tiger was not the only one who was running on fumes uh, <laughs> in Paris last week. A few of us also were in the press room. Um, it has been a whirlwind, and it's so crazy. I heard Phil say to someone on his way out of the news conference last night, so are you going to be in Napa this week? And Phil is playing in Napa, which, may I remind you, the Pro-Am is in two days. So, so much for an off-season in professional golf. It is crazy. Well, I wanted to just start um, kind of an overall feel. I mean, you were there at the Ryder Cup all week long. I mean, you've been on the road, I don't even know how many weeks in a row, but... Um, you know, yeah. do you, do you know, did you get the week off in between, uh, the BMW and the tour championship? I did get the week off, but, um, my husband and I decided that would be a great week to move. And so we were moving, <laughs> um, moving houses. And so I actually arrived in Atlanta, sort of wiped out. And then it just kind of got crazier from there. Um, believe me, I'm not complaining. It was so fantastic. And I felt so honored to write the story of Tiger's 80th PGA Tour win and his first in more than five years. And to just see the emotion that came from him, that was something we never saw during his heyday. He was much more of an automaton in those days. And so to see that he was really basking in the moment and I'll as long as I live, I won't forget that scene on the 18th fairway with Rory and Tiger being swallowed by the throng of fans. And um, I I remember telling the golf editor at our paper, it was as if Tiger almost looked discombobulated. And when has Tiger ever looked discombobulated walking up, you know, the 18th uh, to the 18th green with a two-stroke lead. It was just an amazing scene. It was interesting, Shane, because both Molinari and um, Francesco Molinari and Tommy Fleetwood mentioned that they stood in the clubhouse balcony videotaping that moment. And how surreal that they did that on Sunday and then on Friday and Saturday became the Tiger Patrick killers, you know, <laughs> Mullawood. Right. So it just shows you how every week is a fresh beginning for these guys. And, and you know, I was going to get into Tiger a little bit later, but, I mean, it's as good a time as ever to, to discuss it. You mentioned the win, uh, the high that not just Tiger Woods was on, but the golf world, the sports world, everyone that had followed this story. Yeah. Um, I, and I'll just go throughout this season. You know, th- one of my points on this podcast in writing and, and discussing golf over the past few years was, you know, when Tiger wasn't really a story within the game, it was hard for me to spend a whole bunch of time on it because I just it, it almost felt bad talking about Tiger's game. This year felt different. You right. obviously saw it earlier in the season, and then, you know, we saw Valspar and ran through it. I'm not sure I've ever seen a player go from the level we saw him on Sunday at Eastlake to what we saw for three days at this Ryder Cup, lack of energy. Um, he looked lethargic. Right. He didn't look right. Something looked wrong with Tiger all week long. People have discussed the weather and it being cooler there and him just not getting comfortable within that kind of world. The golf course didn't fit his style of game. What did you see and what did you hear around Paris and around this event 
about Tiger throughout this competition because he didn't look anything like that guy walking up 18 at East right. Lake that had happened just four days before. Exactly. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And, of course, we were in the middle of tabloid central. So it was so fantastic at the first press conference after the first day of play, a U.K. writer asked Jim, and it was just so typical of what you see over here. So, Jim, we heard that Tiger's back is very bad. Can you please tell us about this? And it was clear this guy was hoping that he was just baiting Jim, hoping that Jim would confirm a rumor that he was throwing out there as fact. Um, I've covered enough Wimbledons um, in this neck of the woods to recognize, you know, a tabloidy question when I hear one. And Jim said, well, if Tiger's back is hurting, I'm, that's news to me. I've heard no such thing. In fact, he said he was fine. Um, that This is the new normal for us with Tiger, though. I was out there following that um, Tiger Patrick, Tommy, Francesco match um, Friday morning, and there were definitely times on the tee boxes and between shots where he was bending and looked like he was trying to loosen his back. And because of all the stops and starts and fits and starts he's had over the last four years, it's hard to see that and not think the worst. Right. Uh, the worst and think, oh my gosh, he's injured again, especially because it's still so vivid in my mind that he um, had that kind of poor start at um, the Farmers Insurance Open and then got on a plane to Dubai and then just made one ra- made it through one round and was out for the rest of the year. So it's hard. That's always in the back of your mind now with Tiger. But I I really do believe that um, he was telling the truth that he has played a lot of golf. If you even go back to Akron, Akron, the PGA, and then um, seven of the next nine weeks, for a guy playing with a fused back who a year ago at this time was just being cleared to take full swings with his irons and woods, he has played a lot of golf in a short period of time. And I'm hoping that's just why he looked lethargic. You're right. He looked flatter than a bad souffle out there. (laughs) And even in singles on Sunday, it wasn't markedly better, but there was also, there was some, I heard some rumblings that perhaps he had gotten this flu that, Bubba had been talking about earlier in the week how it had sort of run through the team. I never got any kind of confirmation on that, and Tiger never said anything. So we just really don't know. But we'll wait. We'll have to wait and see, won't we, to see whether uh, the Tiger film match goes on as planned on thanksgiving weekend and boy wasn't this a rousing uh, advertisement <laughs> for that doesn't that make everybody just want to go out and pay to see those guys play the way they both played um this week but um i'm just hoping he was just worn out as were most of us there last week 
Yeah, I mean, there was a moment I, I wrote on Twitter early in the morning. I said, you know, I mean, this is a guy that uh, even when he makes birdie putts, he's just kind of gingerly yeah. walking over and picking them out of the hole. He yeah. made that putt against Rom, and he did the big Tiger fist pump, and they showed a replay yeah. of it. And it almost looked like Tiger, as the ball was going in, kind of remembered, like, I should probably do something here. You know, it was still <laughs> it still looked like it wasn't as smooth as they normally are. It just – you said it. I mean, he looked beat. He just looked absolutely beat. He had his rain pants on the whole week long for basically right. two pairs of pants playing, you know, when a lot of these guys were in short sleeves. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a sickness or, you know, if he just put everything he had into that victory at the Tour Championship. Well, but, think about when you saw that – of emotion from Tiger, who admitted on the 18th green he was nearly in tears. That gives you a sense of the emotional toll that that week took on him of getting, working his way back into the winner's circle. And what that told me is that he really did doubt whether he would ever get back to that level again. That told me everything I needed to know about whether that that tiger like the rest of us wondered am i ever going to win another tournament and so i think the emotional toll that took on him is greater than we can imagine he gave every bit of himself physically psychologically um so it's not a surprise if he came out flat this week you even look at you see it in team sports all the time when a team scores a huge upset victory and then the next week they struggle against a lesser opponent so we shouldn't be too surprised that a 42 year old man with a fused back coming off seven of nine weeks of playing after five days after this amazing incredible miraculous even victory would look flat so that's what I'm going to ascribe it to until you know, he tells us otherwise. And you just never know. I mean, it's almost like you are waiting to exhale with Tiger because of his history um, with the back problems in the last five years. While we have a moment, I just wanted to let you know that the Titleist TS driver and fairway medals are now out. You can get them. Put them in your bag. The best driver Titleist has ever made, and I am not scared to admit that. I love it. I have a new shaft in it. I played on Sunday after the Ryder Cup ended. I hit my driver probably as good as I've hit it in about a year. Hit a lot of fairways. It's funny, when you hit fairways, golf is a lot easier. I think that was one of the big issues at the Ryder Cup for the Americans, struggling to hit those really tight fairways there in Paris. Uh, the all-new Titleist TS2 and TS3 drivers in fairway woods were made to give you two options to more speed. The Titleist Golf Club R&D team has found speed from every detail of the driver, and now they're ready for you to experience Titleist speed. I picked up 15 yards, which is crazy to think, because uh, I've always been one of those people that say, ah, you know, it's kind of all the same, da 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 No, 15 yards is a lot. My ball speed's up. And don't just listen to me. Get fit yourself. You can find driver fitting locations now on Titleist.com. Stay tuned for a special sweepstakes that I'm working on with the guys at Titleist to help you get a new driver in your bag, the Titleist TS2 and TS3. I love it. You will, too. All right, let's get back to the conversation with Karen. Just happy that he was got through it, if you will. I know the uh, one of and one of my favorite moments of the entire Ryder Cup was the emotion John Rom showed and him talking about. You yeah. know, I stood on the balcony and I was filming Tiger winning his 80th yeah. event, and then you you could almost see him thinking 80 wins. You know, as he was saying that, and he had a moment where he's like, 
you know, he went 80 times. It was a, it was a very cool moment, and it, it's, a, it's a little of that passing the torch thing that, uh, that makes this sport so great is because he can play with a 42-year-old Tiger Woods and play against him, and we can get an exciting yeah. match. You wrote, and you, I, I mean, I, I guess you can say you went viral in a way. You wrote uh, a piece uh, late Sunday night for the New York Times, and I'll tweet out the link if you haven't read it yet. I, I urge you to do so. Um, and it was about Patrick Reed, and this is it's, it's toward the bottom part of your story. I mean, you've talked a lot about the European yeah. teams win and, and their their camaraderie, but towards the bottom of the, the, the piece, you got a chance to talk to Patrick Reed after the press conference with the whole team out there, and Patrick Reed was – you know, he was about as honest as an as a athlete's going to be these days. You know, he went after the, the, the decision to split up Jordan Spieth and Patrick Reed. He, he went after kind of uh, Furyk talking about it. Um, he talked a lot yeah. about how you don't have to be friends. How did that, first of all, come about with you getting a chance to talk to Reed on the phone? I mean, did you reach out? Did he reach out? Was there, was there a level of that? And, uh, and when he was talking to you, were you surprised at how candid he was being? Well, I sat in the front row for that press conference for the express reason that I wanted to, the chance to ask Patrick and Jordan the question about were they surprised and did they have any say in the fact that you broke, that Jim broke up a partnership that had gone 4 1 and 2 in the last two Ryder Cups. And not only that, I think what a lot of people who read the story and have been, um, have had um, you know negative things to say about Patrick after reading it. What they're not really getting is that it's not just that by breaking up Patrick and Jordan, you're just messing up Patrick. There's a domino effect. So what was the best, arguably the best pairing at last year's President's Cup? It was Ricky and Justin Thomas. So when Jordan tells Jim Furyk, I want to play with my good buddy, Justin, that also the domino effect now hits Ricky. He's lost a partner with whom he was obviously quite comfortable and had done quite well with last year. So now you have, um, you've sort of cast aside um, Patrick, you've cast aside Ricky and Ricky did not have a great Ryder Cup. He had one win um, and struggled playing with, um, I think he was playing with Dustin, right? So um, there's just, you make a decision like that, and it has a domino effect down the line. So um, Patrick's point was initially they were asked, um, who do you want to play with? And um, Patrick said, well, of course I want to play with Jordan. And he, it's his belief that Jordan said, well, I, you know, I don't want to play with Patrick. I want to play with Justin. And that's how that um, pairing came about. And as you said, um, Patrick's reasoning was, well, you know, I don't have to like you and you don't have to like me, but we have demonstrably succeeded as a pairing and we've made it work. So why would you break that up? He gave the example, though I didn't use it in the story, of Henrik and Justin Rose. You didn't see Thomas Bjorn breaking up that pairing, which has had, you know, great success. So um, there was that. And so he plays the – his second choice was Tiger. And, again, Tiger um, – Patrick was also not Tiger's first choice. So these this is sort of a makeshift, makeshift lineup. So – 
they play together and, um, you know, are up what two up after 10 and then sort of um, Molinari and Fleetwood come back and win that match. And then Patrick's thinking, okay, well, um, that didn't work. So maybe now we'll go back to the lineups that have are tried and true. And instead he and Tiger sit in the afternoon and he brought up the example of Rory, who did not play particularly well in his first match Friday with um, Olison, and then was sent back out by Bjorn in the afternoon with um, Ian and played beautifully and got a win and was on track. Um, I guess Patrick felt that it would have been nice and he's earned the right through his play in Ryder Cups to be extended that same um that same nicety or that same um respect um you know i i I think he makes some points and i think his bigger point was that you what the the result of the task force in 2014 was that you went from a very autocratic leadership where the captain held all the cards to a um, leadership by committee. I called it a republic in a um, previous <laughs> column. And so what you now have are the players giving input. And I think at some point the captain needs to say, you know, I appreciate all this input, but the, the captain at the end of the day has to make some hard decisions and say, you know, I um, I appreciate that you – like Justin want to play with them, but let's, let's see how this, you know, you've had great success with Patrick. Let's try that and see how it goes. Um, you don't bro- break what's not, you know, you don't fix what's not broken. So um, that was his point just in general um, that he just didn't really understand and didn't feel like he was, had a lot of input that it's sort of a, buddy system where there are a few players who seem to be making all the decisions and I will even throw another scenario into this mix because I had written about this earlier in the weekend that I could make a strong argument for why Phil Mickelson should not have gotten one of those wild cards and he has such a close relationship with Jim it was always going to be hard for Jim to sit to sit Phil or to say, Phil, I love you, man, but I just can't put you on this team. I need to put Xander or Kevin Kisner or even Keegan Bradley, who, you know, stared down the world number one, Justin Rose, to win the BMW championship in a playoff and is 15th in driving accuracy um, on the PJ Tour, which Man, that would have been helpful on that track, <laughs> might right? Have, might have helped out a little bit. Putting, yeah, and has been putting beautifully as opposed to Phil's ranking of 192. But um, my point was that Phil could have made it easy on Jim and said, okay, you know what, Jim, since Tiger has now played his way off the coaching staff and onto the playing um you know, the playing roster, why don't I just step into the vice captaincy? I can still 
help the players as much in the team room as a vice captain as I could as a player at this point. That would have been such an incredibly selfless gesture. Um, It would have been such, um, it would have been such a great leadership um, gesture. And I think it would have sent a message to the room that, Hey, we are, we do what is best for the team. We are all for one, one for all, leave our egos and our pride at the door. But we know that Phil did not do that. And what Phil did was play two matches, neither of them particularly well. And um, I, I just don't see how that was helpful to the cause. So, and I, I actually, you know, not that I'm trying to um, be an apologist for um, Patrick, but I do feel like I have to also point out that the one loss that Jordan and Justin had while paired last week was to Mollawood, right. Molinari and Fleetwood, and they lost five and four which was a worse scoring line than either of the defeats that Tiger and Patrick suffered. And according to Patrick, Tiger told him after the first match, which I believe they lost three and one, I am so sorry I let you down. So um, Tiger obviously didn't look at it like Patrick was the weak link in, in that match. Now, the next time they played that, you know, magical duo, um, Patrick hit at least three balls in the water. So he did have a rough go of it. But again, when you're talking about match play, anyone who's played match play knows like it's as much psychological as physical or technical. And when you're not comfortable with your partner or the circumstances, things can snowball quickly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, when you look in again, I mean, this the the problem with these team events, especially on our side of things, is when yeah. things break down and go wrong, we question everything. When I say we, I talk about fans and journalists and reporters, everything. I mean, right. the you, Monday morning armchair quarterback. Exactly. Or, and, and, you know, yeah. when you think about Tom Watson and that press conference with Phil and that's where everything changed and that's where we went to this different system that you talked about a moment ago, you know, we allowed the players – to control in a way how this whole thing went down forgetting that you know sometimes teammates aren't best buddies and it happens in in every other sport in the world I mean you know LeBron James and Kevin Love are not necessarily going to go have dinner four nights a week but if they can work on the court it works and that's all you need I mean Dennis Rodman was an integral part of the Chicago Bulls run and I mean it's not like Michael Jordan Pippen were texting him all the time asking him what was up and I just find it funny right. that, that Jordan Spieth and Patrick Reed, when you look back on this, and again, we're looking back on it. When it happened, when they put Tiger and Reed out there, everybody thought Tiger's coming off this win and he's playing great and he's, he's hitting it as good as anybody. And you get Patrick Reed with them, surely they're going to be a successful duo. And they were not. And as you said, it shakes this whole thing up. And, I mean, if Jordan Spieth wants to play with Justin Thomas, that makes sense. And I'm sure it's exciting for both of them to get a chance to represent their country, considering they've been friends for this long. But you're looking at the best American team we've had in years in the President's Cup and right. the Ryder Cup. And if they're not best friends and they don't love each other, it doesn't matter if it is successful. So I wonder if this will bring that back a little bit more towards the Tom Watson you know, mentality where the captain at the end of well, the day I has think- to make 
has to make the call even if the call isn't exactly what the players want because it does feel like some of these players have a little bit too much control. I, I agree, and I think that was the point that Patrick was trying to make that is getting lost in the in the greater conversation. And I just think you maybe can the, – the system as it's been revamped is fine as long as you have a strong captain or – who's willing to say, you know, okay, I accept all your input, but I'm going to make the final decision and I might make a decision that you don't agree with, but you've got to trust that I'm making the right decision. And I just don't think Jim is that personality. He's very accommodating. He's very low key. And that might've worked in another circumstance. Um, the one thing that made me set the story up the way I did, I absolutely did not want to start with, you know, um, Patrick Reed went off on the Ryder Cup team effort Sunday night. I Because I felt like there was, that was one piece of a greater story. The greater story being that we have, the U.S. team has not won in Europe now since 1993. Shane, the last time the U.S. succeeded on European soil, um, Bryson DeChambeau was 10 days old. 10 (laughs) days, not 10 months, not 10 years, 10 days old. So it's bigger than just Patrick Reed and Jordan Spieth or, or Jim Furyk's leadership and whatnot. And what I saw very clearly watching... Um, this weekend unfold and listening to the European players and the Americans and observing them in the aftermath Sunday was that you have on the European team a a very cohesive whole. They are a band of brothers. And Rory said something that just really crystallized it for me. He said, you know, we all connect so well that it increase the options for Thomas in the pairings because we were we could all be paired with one another. It didn't matter. Well, you absolutely, clearly cannot say that about the Americans. I mean, I think you have Bubba who looks at Webb as his security blanket, and so that pairing is sort of set in stone, and that might have been a little bit um, – might have been a little bit limiting for Webb. He played beautifully right. against Justin on Sunday. And, of course, we should have expected Webb to play well on that course, which reminded a lot of people of TPC Sawgrass um, and what it rewarded and expected of players. So I, I just – that's – I kind of wanted to set the story up that the bigger picture here is what is happening time and time and time again when you get into the most adversity you'll face is on the road well you just don't have this cohesion that for whatever reason seems to come a lot more easily to the Europeans and I just challenge anyone to sit in the two press conferences afterward and then tell me they would prefer to hang out with the Americans those Europeans seem like they are just having way too much fun. They um, had all of these inside jokes going, and and Tommy and Francesco have just the greatest rapport, and they all seem to truly enjoy one another's company. And I know you can say, well, it's easy, they won, but I was looking in their faces, and while Molinari, Molinari talked about how 
that win, that Ryder Cup win meant more to him than his major championship. Do you think any American of those nine major championships on that team would have said that if they had won right. the Ryder Cup? Probably wouldn't have come out of their mouth. Ma- I mean, that's the difference, no. though, isn't it? I mean, and it was sincere. And while, while Molinari was saying that, I looked at Tommy. He was tearing up. The win- more of the winners were tearing up. Paul Casey was tearing up. Um, Thomas Bjorn was tearing up. The winners were the ones crying, not the losers. It was just really astonishing to me to just see the level of investment that these guys had when they play two, two, two different tours, a lot of them. They live in different countries, speak different native languages, and yet they are able to come together in a way that is super impressive. And if I can just mention one other thing, Tommy Fleetwood was interviewed on um, after Europe clinched out on the 18th green. And he said, you know, it could not have gone better. This was, it could not have been more perfect. This is Tommy Fleetwood, who may I point out lost his singles match on Sunday. And yet here he is saying it couldn't have gone more perfect. Why? Because they won. Right, and the team And won. every European player got at least one point, and that was what mattered to him, not his personal record. So when you talk to Patrick, and this will be kind of the end of, of the Reed part of this, when you talk to Patrick sure. Reed on Sunday, I mean, was he mad? Was he angry? I mean, was he... Was he no, exhausted? He was, very ma- he was frustrated, I think. And I, I didn't really answer your initial question, so I apologize. I got sidetracked. But what happened was I knew I went into that press conference thinking, I have got to ask Jordan and Patrick about why they were not paired. And I could not get the microphone, which is somehow a familiar uh, problem that I have. But Thankfully, the last person who did have the microphone said, would um, Jordan or, you know, this is a question for Jordan or Patrick, were you surprised that you guys did not play together? And I just looked at the two and I saw Jordan look at Patrick and I saw Patrick look at Jordan. Now they are, they were on opposite ends of the table. So, and Jordan jumped right in and said, oh, no, you know, we knew we had we we were told and we were able to, um, you know, talk about it. And it was our decision. And and I looked at Patrick and I could just tell that he was not, you know, this did not seem like this was necessarily um, something he was agreeing with. He was biting his tongue, um, not saying anything, but just kind of staring ahead and looking down and did not seem like he was nodding in a sense. So let's put it that way. And then Jim kind of jumped in and said, oh, it was my call. And, you know, it's funny. Some people were calling it a gutsy call by me at the time, and it just didn't work out. But it was my call. So it was almost as if Jim was trying to take the responsibility or onus off um, Jordan's shoulders, and there sat Patrick, still silent. And then the press conference was abruptly ended. So um, I walked out and I said, Patrick, did you have any say in that? And he said, no. 
And I, and, and meanwhile, the PGA of America officials are trying to crowd these guys into carts to get them away from us, obviously. And also, you know, they had the, the dinner afterward and things to go to and do. And so I just said, can I call you later? And he said, yes. So um, that's how it happened. I mean, I just sense that Patrick wanted a chance to answer that question and had not for whatever reason been able to. And I did ask him, I said, so what was going through your mind when you heard the question and you looked at Jordan and Jordan looked at you and Patrick said, I think Jordan could see in my eyes that I was about to light up the room like Phil and 14. And that's why he jumped on the answer. And, you know, I wish that I could have gotten um, Jordan because even though Jordan had answered the question in public to just say like, you know, were you worried about what Patrick might say? And I have some, I, I would also like to know how much interaction Jordan and Patrick even had during this Ryder Cup. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure how much they even spoke. And again, these are the kinds of things that if everything is going well, I'm sure nothing would have been made of it. Um, but when you are losing close matches as a team and as individuals, all of this stuff takes on added importance and can become a snowball rolling down the hill. It gains momentum going the wrong way. And that is the intangible that the Europeans seem to bring to this event every other year. They have that cohesion. I was joking with my editor that I think Steve Stricker um, in 2020 needs to make all of his team members go on an outward bound experience before (laughs) the Ryder Cup and say, okay, now Jordan – you stand behind Patrick and Patrick, you just fall backward and trust (laughs) that Jordan is going to catch you. You know, I think these guys really need some team building, major team building exercises. One more break to just remind you that when it comes to golf equipment, you always want something new, but you always forget the one thing that you use on every golf shot. And that is your golf bag. Treat yourself to an upgrade today with the Ogeo Cirrus bag. You can check out Ogeo.com or your local golf retailer to get your hands on a Cirrus today. It's lightweight. The bags in the pockets are unbelievable. It, it keeps those clubs protected. I use it all the time. I travel with it all the time, and it's a great, great golf bag. The Ogeo Cirrus bag. Check it out at Ogeo.com. Ogeo, the world's best bags. All right, back to Karen. It's just crazy. I, I still, I don't, I mean, again, there are so many factors that play into this. And, uh, you know, it's talked about a lot, but, and it's probably a talent level on the international side, but it's just crazy how relaxed the American squad looks to be at a President's Cup and how tight and tentative they look from the start in these Ryder Cups. And mostly, as you mentioned, when it's across the pond and they're playing on international soil. But, you know, it's what what I found funny. I had some arguments with some golf friends of mine before the week started and, and a month before, two months before. 
And th- these friends of mine were convinced that America was going to win, as a lot of people were. I mean, if you look at the paper, on yeah. paper, it was one of the most talented American teams of all time. And their yeah. point was the bottom four or five players on the European side just cannot match up with the bottom five on the American side, which actually turned out to be the complete opposite. I mean, the bottom five guys in terms <laughs> right. of how they played, Tiger and Phil and Bubba and you on down the list of these guys that just massively struggled with their games all week. It was apparent on paper when you looked at those singles matchups, you know, you go, well, Phil's not going to win that match and Bubba's not going to win this match. And just because they weren't playing well and whoever they were matched up against was playing great. I will ask you this. What's the talk like about this Jordan Spieth singles record? I mean, it, it, was he asked about it in the press conference? Did he mention that there was no, some reason he, to he, it? That press conference really didn't last very long, and it was almost as if they suspected that the questioning might not be great, and whether it was the PGA of America officials or whatnot, they just wanted to get this you know, over with and get hustle them off the stage. But I have a theory, and I haven't had a chance to ask Jordan this. I look forward to asking him it. He's always talking about when he plays three weeks in a row or even two weeks in a row that he loses weight, that by the end of a three-week stretch, he'll have lost 10 pounds, that it is really hard for him to keep weight on. And I'm wondering if it's not as simple as that, that – he loses strength and stamina as the week goes on. By the time he gets to Sunday, he has no energy, whether it's just it takes it out of him physically, emotionally, mentally, whether he's actually losing weight, can't get replenished fast enough. But that would explain why he is now 0-6 in singles at these team events when it's crazy. He There's no other explanation for it that makes any kind of sense. So that's as good an explanation as I can come up with, Shane, to explain it. And I'm not sure that is the answer, but it's as good as any that I can think of. And I want to ask you one more thing, and then I'm going to let you go, and I want you to go back and enjoy your time in Paris. Uh, you wrote a great piece, in a, and I mean, I, I love everything you write. I'm, I'm a fan. But, well, I appreciate um, that. Well, you wrote this piece before the Ryder Cup started about Rory McIlroy, and I think uh, to most journalists that cover golf and to most people that follow this sport and they listen to press conferences and they see interviews, uh, Rory is one of the more t- more interesting people to talk to because – for all of the talent he has and for all of the talent he possesses and for all the acclaim that's followed him since he was a kid, this is one of the few golfers and a few athletes, if you will, that are open to talk about how this doesn't define them. This sport isn't their life. And I thought you did a great job of kind of painting that that story on, on a piece of paper. And, uh, you know, when you get a chance to talk to Rory McIlroy, is there anyone else out there that interests you as much as Rory does when you get a chance to sit one-on-one and talk about things that maybe don't involve golf? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I found myself talking in the course of that con- one of the conversations that um, that was part of the interviewing process for that story. I talked to Jordan, I mean to Jordan, to Rory about juggling and the benefits thereof. Um, Headspace, the meditation app, um, books 
that we have read um, that have been interesting. So I, I'm not sure I have that conversation with anyone else out there. Maybe Jeff Ogilvy. Um, he's an also, you know, very uh, complex and more about sport he plays. But I think it's a real struggle for Rory as it is for any um, high-achieving athlete. I saw maybe it helps me in recognizing this in Rory because I saw it in Michael Phelps, who is really trying to, as a person, win. And everyone just wanted to relate to him as a performer. And I think the thing with Rory is it's very unusual for a superstar under 30 to realize, you know, I just, I don't want to build just a legacy. I want to build a life. Um, I just, I don't want to be just a performer on the world stage. I want to be a person in the world. And it's very hard to do that, Shane, because people relate to you only as a performer. And so every interaction you have with people outside your inner circle is as about you as a performer and here you are trying to evolve as a person and actually if you even you know go on twitter and read what people write about rory after he fails for say the sixth time being in a final group on sunday to close out a tournament that people look at someone like Rory oh my gosh he's um he's just a gazillionaire and he's got this um beautiful wife and he's got all these major titles and wow he's got the perfect life I mean what does he have to feel bad about or worry about or fret about and that's such Imagine you're the person on the other end of that going, oh, what do I have to fret about? What do I have to worry about? I have the same problems as you. And my problems in some respects are exacerbated by all of the qualities that you think are making my life a fairy tale. Because it is the, the more acclaim you get for what you do, the harder it is to get recognized and really have people relate and connect to you for who you are. And I think that's the tug and pull that Rory is really um, dealing with. And it, it, this whole story really crystallized for me at the um, – he took Northern Trust off and then came back at the Bell Technologies um, event and Rory as you know is one of the more accommodating top players he will if you ask him a question he won't just give you a one sentence answer he'll give you a three paragraph answer and I noticed that he started just if he shot I think there were the first two rounds he shot sort of so so sports and he just said oh you know I'm not going to do any press and at first I thought wow, why is Rory, what's wrong with Rory? Why is he not doing any press? And then I thought, well, you know, if you think about it, why are we thinking he should do press? He's not the top-ranked European player in the world. That's Justin Rose. Um, He's not playing, you know, lights-out golf. So I found him... um, after one of these rounds and I said, Rory, are you trying to keep a low profile? Because I notice you're 
sort of you're not doing as much press and he said you know here's the thing I at the beginning of the week I talked about the swing changes that I'm working on and and you know I'm trying to figure a lot of things out and it seems like every time I do press people just seem to fixate on the negative and you know ask me to explain what I'm working on again and and it's just I know I need to figure these things out and I just need some time and space to work I love I always love any story that involves Rory McIlroy, I feel like this week is Rory's favorite week. I'm not sure if he'd ever admit that or if he'd say it or if he has admitted it, but I do I do see similarities with Rory throughout this kind of life he's lived. And uh, it's funny, I do Headspace, and, and I will find little things like the juggling thing that I read in your story. And, um, and I just, I appreciate, yeah. as you said, I appreciate Rory for who he is, and I love the way he he discusses life, because as you mentioned, there's not many people that do this, especially for goodness sakes, professional athletes. Karen, I appreciate you taking some time with us. Always love catching up. And uh, I will, as I said, I'm going to send out those stories uh, on Twitter so you can read them because you've got to read the stories. I actually urge you, I mean, you've obviously made it through this podcast now, but if you haven't read them, go back and read them again and then re-listen to this because all this stuff will make more sense. That's Karen Krause from the New York Times. She does a great job. Karen, go have some wine. Get out of the hotel. Thank you. Enjoy your time. <laughs> enjoy your, what is it, three days off before the golf season begins again. Can you imagine? That's just <laughs> insanity. That's the definition of insanity. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole. It's in the hole. Big thanks to Karen Krause for jumping on. I know she's trying to enjoy the end of this season, as she mentioned in the open. A very, very busy few weeks, considering she followed those FedEx Cup playoffs and the Tiger win and then had to fly straight to Paris. So, hope she enjoys the time off. Hope you guys enjoy the articles. As I mentioned, I'll be tweeting those out from my Twitter account, at Shane Bacon, so you can check those out. Hope you guys have a great week. Uh, We will have more guests in terms of players over the next couple of months because golf is kind of taking a little bit of a rest, if you will. I know there's still tournaments going on on the PGA Tour, but this is the time for those guys to get a little bit away from it. So I'm hoping to have a few of those players on. I hope you guys have a great week. Hope you enjoyed the Ryder Cup, win or lose, and we will check back with you next week.